Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Palm Sunday, are you ready? March to the Cross, part four. Yeah, the triumphant entry, right? Triumphal entry. All right, Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bibles. I'm going to read verses 28 through 40 in the ESV version together. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to lift the word up in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for the celebration this morning with baptism, Lord, and all that you're doing in our lives and in our community together. But Lord, we pray for a very special blessing over your word. Lord, we pray that this would not just be teaching in itself, although that is so important, and it wouldn't just be knowledge, but this is my cry. It'd be an anointing over the knowledge and the teaching that would begin to inform and fuel us for deeper intimacy with you. It would cause us to long for you more. It would cause us to seek you more. It would cause us to lay down idols in our lives. It would cause us to obey even in greater degrees. It would cause us to be more sensitive to the lost and to those who are perishing around us because the information and the truth would be anointed. The word would be anointed and it would inform this place of intimacy. It would compel this place of intimacy with Jesus. Lord, not just intimacy in the sense of prayer, although that's important, but intimacy in our day where we're just in union, where your heart becomes our heart and we walk in that together. God, I pray that your beauty, your majesty, and your glory would be lifted up today and that we would see things about you that we've never seen before. Holy Spirit, we commit it to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get into it. Verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpeg and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to him, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now when you read about Palm Sunday and you read about Jesus' triumphant entry, um, you have to really understand what's going on in these pages of Scripture. This is Jesus' coronation. Now, according to the Webster Dictionary, and I'll put this definition on the screen, a coronation is the act of placement or bestowal of a crown upon a monarch's head. 
Okay. Jesus' triumphant entry, and I want you to get this, was the disciples and the crowds that were crowning Jesus. It was his public reveal as king, as, as the coming Messiah. And that's really interesting. Why? Because there was already a world empire and a ruling king during Jesus' time. Rome was the governing power. And Caesar was the ruling king, right? And like any good king that conquered all these different territories and nations around them, Caesar and the Roman occupancy were doing everything they possibly could to make sure that they were squashing and they were silencing anyone who would try to rise up to try to come against their rule or their authority. I mean, it was well known that Roman soldiers and battalions were put in all the major cities throughout the entire empire. And they were there, why? So they could watch the people and stop any type of insurrection, any type of mob, any type of militia that would try to overthrow Rome's control. Now that, get this, is an extremely important thing to understand as you're reading through this passage of Scripture. In fact, I want to begin to build on this idea just a little bit more because I want you to get this. Rome was also very careful and very vigilant during the Jewish feast, because during the feast, it was a time of gathering for the Jewish people. So what would happen is you would have mobs that would start coming together that actually hated Rome. And the largest of all the feasts was the Passover. They say it's recorded that there would be anywhere from two and a half to three million Jews that would be coming to Jerusalem, that would be in Jerusalem during the Passover feast. And the Roman, the Roman soldiers always, always put more soldiers into the city, and they always put everybody on high alert when the Passover took place. They would do everything they could to break up crowds of people that were either talking too long or they were getting a little excited. Anything that they would hear throughout the city saying, okay, that, that's something that could be an issue. They would go and they would begin to break it up. Now watch this because this is amazing. Knowing all of this, okay, Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives with a crowd of people shouting at the top of their lungs, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They were throwing palm branches, they were dancing, they were singing, so much so that it caught the attention of the religious leaders that rebuked Jesus for what was happening. But do you know what's so weird? Nowhere in the Bible does it ever mention a Roman soldier throughout the text. <laughs> Nowhere! You never hear a Roman soldier coming and breaking up the crowd, arresting the mob, stopping what could possibly be an insurrection. They don't do any of that, even though they were on high alert during the feast. Anyone else? Find that weird or kind of strange? What in the world was happening during Jesus' triumphant entry? What, what was taking place? Well, well, let me just share a little bit of what I speculate, what I, what I believe. Not what the Bible says, what Pastor Michael believes. So you could throw this out later if you want to. In fact, two things were happening. My wife reminded me of this morning of something else that was happening. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. You should be up there preaching. But, but she said, listen, it was, it was prophetic. It was already prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus was going to do this. So who was going to be able to stop the hand of God? Right? And I looked at her and I said, oh, okay. That's good. 
Actually, that's the right answer. Can I tell you the crazy answer that Pastor Michael thinks through? Okay, ready? Ready? This is what I was thinking about. I think no Roman soldier ever intervened. You want to know why? Because I think they were all on the ground laughing uncontrollably. I think they thought it was hysterical what they were watching when Jesus came down a mountain on a donkey, people throwing old clothes at him, taking down palm parade. They're looking at this and they're like, is that the threat we're worried about? Are you kidding me? That's nothing to be concerned. I think when they finally got themselves composed and got up off the ground, they were calling their friends over to come see what they were witnessing. You got to check this. This, Look at this. This is craziness, right? And, and let me explain my reasoning behind it because let me paint you a picture of what a Roman citizen would have seen when one of their kings would have come back to Rome in a triumphant entry after conquering a neighbor nation or a neighbor country. Watch what they would have seen. I'm going to show you a clip from one of the greatest movies movies of all time, Gladiator, and you're just going to bear with me, just bear with me, I just want you to watch the clip. This is what they would have been used to when we talk about a triumphant entry. Go ahead, put it up on the screen. Okay. Do you see the soldiers, the crowds, the army, the generals, the chariots? Do you see the ones with the drums, beating the drums, the flowers and the petals that are coming down? And it was crazier than even this, because when a king actually came back, to the, to the country of Rome, came into the city, and they won. They conquered another nation. They would actually bring all the people that they conquered in chains behind them. They'd come in, and then they would be conquered in chains. Okay, this is what Rome is used to when we talk about a triumphant entry. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Just hear me on this. I want you to bear with me just for a moment because like when Paul says in the book of Corinthians, just bear with me while I act a little bit foolish. I want to act like a fool this morning just for a second, okay? So I want you to think about this picture that I just showed you and in just a position to that, I want you to see what I'm about to do next, okay? Bear with me. It's going to be foolish, but I want you to get this. Watch it. Watch this. Just stay there. I'm coming. I'm coming. Whoa, whoa easy. Go, go, go. Thank you, David. Thank you, bud. Thank you. Thanks. Give David a round of applause. Okay. Listen, I'm not trying to poke fun at the Bible, and I'm not trying to be a blasphemous in any way. I want you to get something. Listen to me. Do you see how ridiculous that was? Me riding an action student with a donkey suit out to the pulpit. Did you, did you, as ridiculous as that was for you to watch, I want you to get this. It was a million times more ridiculous for the Roman soldiers to watch Jesus come down the Mount of Olives. It was seriously, they looked at it and they were like, there's nothing to break up here. There's nothing to do. This, this is a laughing stock. If this is their king, if this is the way that they come down and they say, hey, we're coming in an entry to conquer whatever it might be, there's nothing for us to have to even be concerned with. This is how ridiculous this whole scene was to the Roman soldiers. And here's the question. Here's the question. You ready? Watch this. This is what we got to ask. What does the response of the Roman soldiers or the lack of response show us about Jesus? What does it show us? Well, let me put the answer on the screen because this is so important. Are you ready? It shows us that Jesus is not like any other king that ever reigned. 
Did you get that? Because this is important. I want you to write this down and I want you to hold on to it because we're going to come back to this thought. Listen to me. Jesus is not like any other king that ever reigned. But before I could take that thought and begin to apply it to our lives, I want to give more background to this idea that Jesus is not like any other king. Hear me on this. This is what I want you to get. See, the reason the crowds were crowning and worshiping Jesus is because Jesus was the coming Messiah. He was the one that the Jews were waiting for. He was the one that the prophets were prophesying that one day God was going to send him as Messiah and he was going to break the yokes of oppression off of his people and then he was going to make everything right in the world again. Right? The Messiah was supposed to come and take everything that was a mess because of sin and because of the fall of man. And through his reign, through his authority as king, he was supposed to bring it back to the way God always intended it to be. And the Jews thought Jesus was going to do it by conquering Rome and then bringing back the nation like in the days of King Solomon or like in the days of King David. But what they didn't get is that nothing in the world would ever change if God and if Jesus didn't deal with the sin that's in every one of our hearts. Even if restored the nation of Israel again, it would have fallen apart all over because there's an issue that's going on inside of us. And the Messiah had to come to deal with that issue before he could deal with anything else. Now here is the important part, and this is what I want you to get. Even though Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, he was the one that the nation of Israel was waiting for, get this, every single nation and every single people group, whether you're Gentile, Jew, doesn't matter, whoever you are, we are all believing and hoping for a Messiah to come. We all need a personal Messiah, a personal king that will put things right in our lives and in the world around us. Everybody was born on this earth with that need. You were created to serve something. You were created to trust in something. That's why the Marvel movies can make millions and billions of dollars. Why? Because they've tapped into this inherent need inside of all of us. We love watching Spider-Man, the Hulk, Thor, whoever it is, vanquishing evil, winning the day, restoring peace to the nations. That's why politicians, get this, can lie through their teeth about all the good they're going to do and all the things they're going to fix, and we keep voting for them, even though we know they're lying. Right, right. We don't want to believe that they're absolutely corrupt because we have this inherent need inside of us. We need a king. We need a Messiah. We need someone to fix our schools. We need someone to fix our economy. We need somebody to fix our health care. We need someone to fix the anxiety and the fear of my own heart, of our own heart. See, the reason the Antichrist is going to be able to deceive the world is because he's going to tap into this inherent need for a king, this inherent need for a Messiah. He's going to tap into it. See, when all the systems begin to fall apart and the governments don't work anymore, no, 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 we're going to say, well, we need something. We need somebody. 
and he's going to rise up, and he's going to get promises. Oh, I'll be able to fix this. I'll be able to change. I'll be, all you got to do is bow down and worship me. And you're going to see even people in the church bow down and worship him. Why? Because they have this need inside of them that they never got fixed, a need inside of them for a king. And here's what most people don't realize. This is so important. Because we have this need and this desire for a king, whether we realize it or not, we are always crowning something in our lives. Did you hear me? Because we all have this need. We all have this desire. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Every single person on this earth is crowning something in their lives. In fact, let me put this up on the screen. This is an excerpt from my journal, and I was just writing. I'm just putting notes down, and I want to read it to you. I just want to read. This is what I wrote. Get this. Ready? You are not in charge of your life. Okay? Something has to give you meaning. Something has to make you feel significant. Everyone has to live for something it might be an accomplishment that you're living for that gives you meaning or being a good person that makes you feel like life has meaning or a career or your family or listen to this, even your church. Everyone has to crown something or you cannot live. And whatever you live for, whatever you crown, this is important, it doesn't serve you, you serve it. For example, you ready? Let me just give you an example. Say you're living for the approval of your family or your boss. There's someone in your life, and, and you're working so darn hard to get their approval, right? Do you know what happens when they don't give you their approval? I want you to get this. Do you know what happens? It's one of two things. Either, number one, you become more driven than ever before to try to get their approval. Now you're working doubly. So, oh, if I could just get this degree, if I could just get this career, if I could just get this, this boss, if I could do this, the boss will notice me. If I could do this, he'll actually like me. Oh, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. And you're running around, and you're more driven than ever before where you have no peace, you have no rest in your heart whatsoever. Or number two, you end up hating yourself. You end up looking at yourself and despising who you are. Do you want to know why? Because you crown the approval of somebody instead of crowning Jesus. You crown them. And get this, you serve that approval. It doesn't serve you. You're a slave to it. Or how about this? Let me give another example. Maybe you've crowned a political cause. Right? Your whole life is wrapped up with ending social injustice, or maybe your whole life is wrapped up with ending climate change, or your whole life is wrapped up with getting a specific candidate elected into some party. Now, I'm not saying that those things are not important, but they're beyond important for you. You have crowned them. That's where you get meaning in life. So watch what happens. When some legislation that you were hoping for doesn't get passed, or something in the world happens that wreaks havoc on your causes, you are filled with anxiety and fear for the future. The sky is full. Oh my gosh, we didn't get that passed. Oh my God, everything's going to come down. Everything's going to crash. And you run around in absolute mess inside. Why? Because you crowned that political cause and you made that your king. And now you serve it. It doesn't serve you. See, let me connect one more thought just to this argument. And then we'll, then we'll bring it all together. We'll begin to close. And I want you to see this. 
Every time I get the chance to go back to Jersey, and I get a lot of chances to share the gospel with friends, there seems to be one main stumbling block that just holds so many people back from truly surrendering their lives to the Lord. And you know what that stumbling block is? They don't want to give up control over their lives. They love this idea about the gospel and Jesus being a savior. They love the idea of, of Jesus coming, dying for sins, but they don't like the idea that he's also king and he's Lord and he gets to call the shots, right? They hate that part of the gospel. Why do they hate that part of the gospel? Listen to me. Because they are under the illusion that they actually do have control over their lives. It's an illusion. It's like we just said before. They're actually not in control. Something else that they have crowned is in control of them. But they don't realize it. And because of that, they don't want the gospel because they think that they're actually in control. But remember at the beginning of the sermon, what did we say? We said Jesus is not like any other king that has ever reigned. Jesus is different from all the other kings we crown. Jesus is different than our career, than our family, than our accomplishments, than our relationships. Why? Why is he different? Well, Zechariah 9.9 tells us. Are you ready? Zechariah, watch this. I want you to see it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Okay, your king's coming. Righteous and having salvation is he. Okay, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Behold, your king is coming to you. Listen to this. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus is different than any other king. You want to know why? Because Jesus reigns in weakness. He reigns in humility, meekness, and compassion. He doesn't reign with an iron fist the way all these other kings actually reign. In fact, let me put this back up on the screen. Back from my journal, I want you to see this. Every other king, your career, your relationships, your family will punish you and oppress you if you fail it. You'll be overwhelmed with the feelings of shame and guilt and emptiness and feelings of inadequacy. These kings oppress people. Let me give you another example, something that hit me this morning. Let's say that you're a parent in this room and you have a wayward child, you have a prodigal son, and you are praying for that son or that child or that daughter and you just want to see them finally come to the Lord. But you don't realize something. You didn't crown Jesus as your king. Listen to me. You crowned being a good parent as your king. So listen to what happens. You're trying your best to get a hold of your son or your daughter, but you feel such shame for how you are failing as a parent. Instead of meeting them with grace, instead of meeting them with love, you are now driven by that shame, and you're coming down harder and harder and harder and harder and harder, and their hearts are getting harder and harder and harder and harder because you're not being driven by Jesus, your king, and his love. That's not what you have crowned. You are being driven by trying to be a good parent. Because that accomplishment makes you feel good in life. Do you see how it plays out? Do you see what happens? See, all of these things are fine as long as you're living up to their expectations. But as soon as you get tired and you fail in one of these areas of your life, whether it's relationships, career, family, and accomplishment, whatever it is that you have crowned, what a political cause, whatever it is, they beat you over your head with constant oppression.
But Jesus is different. See, if you surrender your life to Jesus and you make him king, even though the Bible calls us to live a life sometimes that's hard for our flesh, like when the Bible says that sex before marriage, according to God, is wrong, or when the Bible says you're not to hate your enemy, or when the Bible says you can't lose your temper at work on your coworkers and be a follower of Jesus, it's wrong. Or when the Bible says pornography, filling your mind with that smut, is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. Or when the Bible says that holding on to unforgiveness is wrong. See, every time Jesus calls us to a place of obedience as our king, and he knows what's best for us. He created us. He knows what will bring peace. He knows what will bring familiar. But every time he calls us to it, listen to me. Every time he asks us to lay something down or surrender something to him, he always comes, even though we might be struggling, as a king riding on a donkey, which means even when you're having a tough time obeying him, Jesus doesn't stand off in a corner, tell you what to do, and when you're not doing or you're failing or you're struggling, beat you over the back with a whip. That's not what Jesus does. No, no, no. This is what Jesus does. He calls us, calls us to obey. He gives us his word, but then he gives us his presence and his power to fulfill his word, which means, get this, even when it's difficult and we're struggling, we're saying, God, I can't let go of this thing. I can't let go of this idol. I can't let go of this relationship. I have a tough time obeying you. I have a tough time living. Even when we're struggling, the spirit of God comes over us and he begins to meet us in our devotion times. He begins to meet us in our prayer times. He begins to meet us in our worship time. And he becomes empowering this word where revelations of Jesus' beauty and his goodness and his grace and his love begin to be revealed to our heart with power and we begin to see how we're he actually is of completely being obeyed. And that understanding, that revelation, that wooing from the presence of God works inside of us a place of obedience as we stay in honesty and repentance before him. Do you see the difference? He meets us. His presence comes over us. As we're seeking him, he reminds us and shows us through the scriptures other men and women who were called to obey, who were called to do something that was difficult for their flesh. And he shows us through the scriptures, he reveals to us how they took a step of faith and the blessings, the blessings that came over their lives, the blessings that came for them even in eternity, which is what Hebrews chapter 11 says, the blessings that came on their families generations later. He reveals these things to us. He shows us these things through the enablement of his spirits. Jesus comes in meekness and compassion and he floods our heart with truth and revelations of how worthy he is to be obeyed. He doesn't just command obedience, he empowers us to obey by walking with us through the process and by revealing his love and truth to our hearts as we surrender to him and we do what he says. And listen to me, nothing else that you crown or serve in your life will ever do that. Nothing. Okay, one final thought from the passage that I just want to bring out, and then we're going to close. Go to Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 35. And let me just read this to you one more time. And I want to just bring something out that I've read so many times and never really thought all the way through. And I want you to see this. 
Verse 28 says, When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near the Bethpag in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering, ready for this? You'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owner said to him, why are you untying the colt? And he said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. You know, I've read this, and I've always read that part about this idea of a colt, which, which by the way, is a baby donkey. It's a baby this idea of a baby donkey that has never been ridden. And I used to think in my mind, well, the reason it was never ridden is because Jesus needed a holy donkey. Right? It couldn't be a defiled donkey. It couldn't have carried anybody else. This is a holy man. He needed a holy donkey. It's a baby. It didn't get into too much trouble in its life. It's not sinful yet. still has a measure of innocence. So the holy donkey, that's, and I'm not even I know you think I'm joking. For some reason, that's what my mind would naturally connect. And then I started to realize that, wait a second. Jesus rode in on a baby animal that had never been ridden in the middle of a crowd screaming at the top of their lungs and waving palm branches in its face. Anyone ever try to get a baby animal to do anything before? I'm just being honest, okay? or a baby animal or a horse or whatever you want to call it that's never been ridden before, never been broken in before? I, I've done this. I remember, well, it was half broken in, right? We, we, had, we had a young girl in our youth group who we deeply, deeply love who invited me. She was, she was into horses and she was, she was riding horses and teaching and training. She said, would you come? I, I want to show you my horses. And I went to go see these horses and she said, let's go for a ride, right? And she decided to put me on the horse that was like half broken in. It wasn't like fully broken in just yet. So, so listen to me. The horse, I want you to get this. He, he was able to walk. He was able to ride. I could do all these things, but he couldn't turn right. It wasn't, he didn't understand right. So if like I pulled on the rein here, it would just like stop and look forward. And I'm like yanking. I have my foot on its head. I'm like pulling. No joke. I'm not even kidding. So listen to me. But he was broken in enough that he knew how to turn left. So if I had to turn right, what I had to do is grab the rein, pull it this way, and go all the way around, and then go right. That's how I, so I would be riding with everybody. We'd be on trails and everything, and everybody would be going right. And I'd be like, okay. You know, coming all the way around. And then I'd go this way. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Jesus rode in on a baby donkey that was never ridden on before. In a crowd of people yelling and shouting and dancing and making big movements. Listen, this donkey should have bucked. This donkey should have screamed. This donkey should have ran away. And yet he doesn't. He acts like he did this a thousand times, like this was dress rehearsal, and now he's stepping up. Like, what is going on? As I'm reading this, I'm thinking in my mind, this is nuts. What is going on? See, listen, Jesus riding this donkey is as big as a miracle as him casting out demons. I'm not kidding. This is miraculous. I mean, he's healing lepers. He's, and then I'm thinking, if it was me penning it, and I'm putting all the miracles in the Bible, healing lepers, casting out demons, raising the sick, raising the dead, riding baby donkeys that were never broken into crowds of people. That's where I would have put the miracles. 
See, I'm a little sensitive to this because I just have baby humans right now who I cannot control, let alone a donkey who doesn't know what you're saying. And yet Jesus just rides right in. What in the world is God trying to say to us? Because this is so important. You know what he's saying? Listen to me. You don't have to be afraid to obey me. You don't have to be afraid to surrender my whole life to me. Listen, you know what he's saying? He's saying this. He's saying when you surrender to me and you allow me to be king over your life, you crown me. Listen to me, listen to me. There's a peace that will come into your life unlike anything you've ever experienced before. You were created. You were created for me to be king over your life. I know what's best for you. I made you. And even though you don't understand it and you don't get why I'm saying go left and you want to go right, God's saying if you will just trust me, this will begin to actually bear a fruit of steadfastness and peace inside you where the rest of the world might be screaming because things aren't working or the economy's failing and everybody's freaking out and waving all types of things in the air. He said you will have a steadfastness inside of you like you can't believe. If I could do it with a baby donkey, if I could do it with one that's never been ridden and I could do it in a crowd of people, I could do it in your own heart. The same hand that calmed the sea was the hand that was over this donkey. And when you surrender to God, you come under his hand. It brings peace into your life. Everybody else is stressed. Everybody else is going nuts. And you're walking around at work and everyone else with a steadfastness inside of you. Because listen to me, You made the choice to no longer crown all these other things as king. You crown him as king. Oh, when I read that, I just started worshiping. I started saying, God, oh, forgive me. Forgive me. Oh, forgive me. I need to open my eyes. I need to see who I'm truly serving. And the peace and the blessing that comes when I'm yielded. Now stand with me, Springs Church. I want to have an altar call this morning. The Lord put something on my heart. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And here's the altar call this morning. There are many in this room, including myself, by the way, where we have crowned different things in our lives. We have crowned the acceptance of man in our lives. We have crowned an accomplishment in our lives. Can I be honest? We've crowned America in our lives. We love the lifestyle we have here. We love what's been provided. And I'm not ripping that apart. It's a good thing. And I thank God for it. But we've crowned it. It's not something we just enjoy. It's something that gives us meaning. It's something we live for. And these last two years of what we've been dealing with and what we're still in the fire for and what we're going through in the world is beginning to show us that we've crowned these things but we haven't fully crowned Jesus just yet. I was very honest and open in the the last service. And I said, one of the things that came out through this time in this message is I've crowned a certain expectation for the future. I had an expectation. I had the colleges picked out that I wanted my kids to go to. I had the neighborhood I wanted to be in. I knew how many years that I'd be here in Colorado and if I'd ever go back to the, I just crowned an expectation of the future. I crowned an idea that I want my cupboards always stocked. I crowned the idea that I'm always going to have a certain measure of savings. I crowned these things. And the Lord began to show me the reason there's so much anxiety inside of you for the future right now, Michael, is because that's what you've crowned instead of me. See, if you really crowned me, 
my love and my promises would be enough. You'd be able to walk through. You'd really believe. If I was really crowned and you were fully surrendered, my promises for your family is enough. It's enough. It'll give you peace and even steadfastness. If you weren't attached to all these other things, if losing these things didn't rip out your heart because you crowned them. I remember I just went to the Lord and I began to just repent. And this is what I wanted to say. It's repentance that is the gateway that allows the king to come in on the donkey. See, repentance sets up your heart to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to woo you again to see how beautiful and loving and glorious Jesus actually is, how worthy he is to be crowned. See, here's the thing people don't realize. You can't crown Jesus in your own strength. It's got to be drawn out of you by the Spirit. The Spirit needs to do it. And he comes in meekness and compassion and grace to begin to do that. But he can only work through a vessel that's being honest and humble, which is what repentance does. It's a confession. It's saying, God, I've crowned something else. And through that, when the Holy Spirit sees it, it says, now I can start coming in your prayer times, your worship times, when you read the word, even in church. And I can start wooing your heart to see how worthy he is. I can show you his beauty in ways you've never seen it, his love, his sacrifice, what it means for you specifically, in ways you've never experienced. I don't care how long you walk with God. I don't care how, he says, I'll show it to you in whole new lives and I'll draw, I'll draw this crowning out of your heart. So this is my altar time for today. If you know, you know, Pastor Michael, I need to see that Jesus again and I need to crown him again but I need to repent because I've crowned something else. I want you just to come forward honestly. Just come forward. Worship and uh, prayer team, if you just come to the edges here, you come to the side, just come. Don't worry about what anyone thinks. Don't worry about what anybody says. You, just, you feel the Lord tugging on your heart? Not pastor, you feel the Lord speaking? You come up. Come up. We're gonna pray to God. We're gonna pray to God this morning. We're gonna call on the Holy Spirit to come and woo us again. We're gonna call on the Holy Ghost. You come up. Come up, come up, come up. Maybe you've never crowned Jesus in your whole life. Maybe you've never really surrendered your life to him and you've never been forgiven of your sins. Come up, receive him as your savior this morning. Come up, come up, come up. God is getting at things in our hearts in this season. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you just to talk with the Lord right now. I want you to just name whatever it is. If you want to pray with somebody, the prayer team's here, they'll pray with you, but you just start, say, God, I repent. I've crowned this in my life. I've crowned this in my life. I, I've crowned America in my life. I, I've crowned the expectation for the future I wanted in my life. I, I, I've crowned prosperity in my life. I, I have crowned my family. I have crowned an acceptance of those people in my life. I have crowned a career in my life. I have crowned an accomplishment in my life. I've crowned things in my life. Whatever it is, just begin to talk to the Lord. Repent of it from your heart. Just say, God, God, I want to turn from this. That's what repentance is. I want to turn from this and begin to crown you again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we just come to you this morning. <laughs> and we just come and we repent. Lord, I have a list of things that I've crowned that you've been dealing with in my heart. 
And you know what, God, as difficult as all these years have been, and I don't make light of them because they have caused a lot of tragedy in all of our lives, I thank you that you're using even that to get to these things inside of us, to begin to root them up, to begin to restore your church the way it's supposed to be, restore us the way we're supposed to walk with you. God, we come this morning to confess it, but we also come this morning in honesty saying, Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would come now and you would bring the king on the donkey. You would bring the spirit of Jesus that would woo our hearts again. That as we're honest and repentance about this, we pray that in our prayer times this week, Easter Sunday, when we're worshiping you, when we're at home and we're taking time to talk with you, when we're opening up scripture and we're reading, we pray that you would give powerful revelations of how amazing Jesus is, how beautiful, and it would arrest us. It would arrest our heart. It would take our breath away. It would begin to get a hold of us in a way where there's an overflowing of deeper and deeper and greater and greater surrender than ever before. There's an overflow of crowning of this incredible king. That you would give us the grace to not just see what Roman soldiers saw and laughed, but to look past it. That not just see hardship in our walks with God, but to look past it and to see the reward of knowing you and the reward of being conformed to you and the reward of loving you and being raptured in that love that brings the peace that all of us have been looking for. Holy Spirit, we repent today, but we recognize that that repentance is the gateway for you to come now. And I pray, Lord God, the first chapter here of Song of Song over all of us, where it says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine, your anointing oils and fragrant. Your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Now this is the part I pray. Draw me after you and let us run. Lord, that's my cry. That out of this repentance, Holy Spirit, you would draw us after God like never before. That we'd see things about him, we'd be overwhelmed. He would kiss us, and I know this sounds crazy, kisses with the kisses of the mouth. Th that means intimacy. Th that means things that other people don't get to see or get to know. That's what that is. And we're praying that you would unlock things to us, Lord God, that most people don't see about Jesus, but we would see it. We would see this incredible beauty. It would overwhelm. We would see his death in new lights and new ways, new facets. And it would draw our hearts. And all these things that we have crowned, all these things would begin to fall by the wayside. Fall by the wayside through this intimacy and this beauty of you. And it would lead to radical obedience radical where people are saying those people are nuts and we would say we're not nuts we've seen the king coming on the donkey we our hearts have been wooed we ain't nuts we got something you need oh holy spirit forgive us forgive us for making parenting what we crown forgive us for making our families what we crown whatever it is oh god Oh, forgive us for making ministry our crown, God. <sighs> Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. 
If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.